Part six of The Highwayman by H. C. Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Oh, sir, a prayer from you is a rare honor, he said at length. You're to understand, ma'am, that I was furnished with letters of credence from certain of the Jacobite agents in England, John Rogers and Mrs. White, I remember. How they were come by, I cannot now tell though i may guess for it is plain that there was no stint of money in the affair so i came easily to speech with the prince and his secretary my lord middleton and i will ever maintain that his royal highness is altogether such as a prince should be being of a dark complexion and a melancholy dignity there is in him no likeness of thought or word to me he was i profess very flattering showing me courtesies beyond my rights or expectations he received me in a word most favourably and being influenced as i regret i cannot doubt by my person and address was easily inclined to ride out to pontois only my lord middleton made difficulties he is of a sardonic turn and permits his wit to outrun his civility he set me questions in a fashion which my honour could not brook yet i can relate that in the end i prevailed over my lord middleton's jealousy for he said to the prince enfin sir i can tell no reason why you should not go see this colonel if you choose if there were any guile in the business faith they would never have trusted it to this fellow so the thing was agreed in the morning we rode for pontois the prince my lord middleton myself his royal highness was pleased to limit himself to one servant the man with whom colonel boyce had provided me went on to carry advice of our coming we came to pontois toward evening colonel boyce had put up at the lion door he was waiting for us in the courtyard and received us as i thought somewhat shortly hurrying us into the house but once inside he made ceremony enough with endless speeches about the condescension of his royal highness all this too obsequious in a boorish taste so that the prince bade him have done and come to business therewith colonel boyce was as full of apologies as he had been of servilities i vow i never heard him so copious as that night he took us you are to understand to an upper room and what first moved my suspicion was that he bade me be gone then my lord middleton countered him with i believe sir the gentleman had best stay immediately colonel boyce was all smiles over his blunder and we sat down about the table in that upper room and came to the substance of his negotiation he kept i'll allow to the purposes which from the first he had pretended to me whether prince james if assured of support from marlborough and his friends would choose to avow himself protestant but he made so many conditions over it he was so vague and wary that twas hard to tell what he would be at when my lord middleton tried to pin him to something plain and certain he would ever evade till it began to grow late and the prince talked of supper and bed this colonel boyce took up very heartily and was indeed giving his orders when there came a noise in the courtyard and he ran to the window and looked out my lord middleton was behind him with a what's your anxiety sir why my lord i would not have these roisterers break upon the prince's incognito pray sir this way and you'll be secure he points to an inner door i believe we are as safe here sir says my lord middleton egad sir come away says colonel boyce and he was in fact dragging the prince across the room when the door bursts open and in comes a stranger a little man he flung himself across the room upon colonel boyce making some play with a pistol there was some grappling and wrestling i recall that they gasped and breathed hard 
but it's odd i believe that there was no word spoken then colonel boyce freed himself and bolted through that inner door the stranger fired a shot after him and while we were all deaf and sneezing with it and utterly amazed he turns on us that's a miss says he please god they'll bag him below hey charles he wags his head at my lord middleton i thought you had more sense damn says my lord it's hector mcbean and prithee what's all this ruffling mac why you have let his majesty walk into a stinking trap that fellow boyce he hath been marlborough's spy sunderland's spy the devil's spy this twenty year why i thought he had something the smack of it says my lord and yet who's this now captain mcbean turned on me yours or his his ambassador in fact my lord looked me over and took snuff you won't tell me that hath any guile in it prithee what is it you have against the man boyce eh did ye see him run says captain mcbean a man's not in that hurry if he hath a good conscience if you'll please to have him up maybe we'll hear a tale but as he spoke there came into the room a french officer of dragoons who saluting the prince asked captain mcbean if he had found his rogue on which have i found him captain mcbean cries out eh sir did he not run into your arms but it appeared that colonel boyce had not been caught and they determined at last that he must have made his way out by a door at the back of the inn and one clear away but i am sorry to tell you ma'am that he hath not yet been found for if they catch him in france he may count on a hanging pray sir how did you dodge the rope harry said did you talk them to death your pretender and his tail you're too eloquent for me mr waverton alison yawned i can't tell what you want to say what is this mighty crime which you and colonel boyce were compassing sneers become you ill ma'am says mr waverton magnificently i repudiate any charge whatsoever and tell my story my own way some hot words passed between captain mcbean and the frenchman each blaming the other for colonel boyce's escape then captain mcbean says the fellows that were drinking in the tap i suppose you've let them dodge you too no well that's a wonder tie this rogue up with them and have them in guard so he mocked at me but the prince brought him up roundly you go too fast for me my good captain quoth he what's your charge against the gentleman who is to my mind a very simple gentleman so his royal highness was pleased to honour me egad he was right waverton harry laughed i think i know how to value your fair words now sir says mr waverton grandly be pleased to spare them upon that as i was saying captain mcbean lost command of himself and was grossly violent roaring that i was none the less a knave because i was so natural a fool and the like empty insolence accusing me of being art and part in a vile plot with colonel boyce to kidnap and murder his royal highness now we have it alison murmured and looked at harry strangely ay ma'am now perhaps though late enough your eyes are opened said mr waverton with relish well i let the man run on he was indeed not to be stopped a rude vehement fellow when he was exhausted i addressed his royal highness lackaday i believe you says harry i made it clear to him sir that my birth and position must warrant me innocent of any treachery and though i might well disdain to answer these reckless charges i owed it to myself to remark to his royal highness that but for my desire to serve him i had never meddled in the affair so that when i had done my lord middleton says laughing egad sir it seems you owe this fine gentleman thanks for his kindly condescension to you and the prince was pleased to answer we are too small for his notice faith but is he finished yet 
then i bowed to his royal highness and sat down well enough pleased as you may believe but this captain mcbean called out in his rude fashion eh sir he may even be the booby he pretends the better decoy i allow but by your leave we'll look into it more narrowly would your majesty please to permit me have up the other rogues this in a word they did and captain mcbean and my lord middleton who is to my mind something more of the attorney than becomes a man of rank questioning the fellows shrewdly it was made put i crave your attention madam it was made out that colonel boyce had undertaken for the service of the hanoverian junto here to kidnap or kill prince james and the plan was to bring the prince out to pontois and to drag out affairs that he passed the night there then in the night they were to invade his room and command him to follow them they pretended indeed that they meant only to carry him off but tis not to be doubted that they looked for resistance and a bloody issue to the affair so ma'am here is the trade of the family of boyce to procure murder and the murder of a prince of the blood royal of our lawful king i give you joy of the name you bear alison bent her head you may well be proud of your part mr waverton they let you go did they says harry your captain and your lord and your prince let me go sir there is nothing against me i defy your impudence nay i thank you i thank you you lead me gracefully to the end of my story good god it has an end when these rogues were questioned about me not a man of them could pretend to have anything against me they openly confessed that colonel boyce had warned them that i must be kept in innocence of the affair lest i should thwart it for he said that he had brought me into it to show a good face to the prince as one beyond suspicion of treachery nay and moreover and here's my last word to you ma'am he avowed that he chose me because he wanted me out of england where i stood between his own son and a pretty heiress at which as i remember my lord middleton chose to be amused damn i like that man says harry so ma'am mr waverton tossed his head here you have it i am drawn into a murderous vile base treason that i may be kept out of the way while mr boyce prosecutes his designs upon you i give you joy of the loyal fidelity which yielded to him i leave you to enjoy him with what appetite you may he made a majestic bow he turned and was gone harry and alison were left staring at each other from behind came a small strained voice colonel boyce he he is safe then it was mrs weston the two turned with a start surprised by her existence harry laughed oh ay he is safe he would be mrs weston rose slowly and then made a rush for the door the husband and wife were left alone chapter eighteen harry is dismissed alison turned and stared into the fire harry filled himself a glass of port and drank it and laughed she looked round at him faith mr waverton is mighty good entertainment he explained is that all you want to say harry would not be awed by that ominous voice oh lord how could i dare talk after him our poetic orator he made flourishes in the air after mr waverton's manner nay but i would give my new wig to have been in that upper chamber at pontois dear geoffrey on his defence booming noble periods and the prince poor gentleman with his fingers in his ears if dear geoffrey was telling the truth i wonder oh is that what you'll pretend pretend i pretend nothing ma'am why to be sure our geoffrey always means to tell the truth having god bless him no imagination but you'll remark what when he tells a tale it's mr waverton has always the bow roll he sees the world like that dear lad so i should be glad to hear the caledonian gentleman's notion of what happened i see you'll make that your defence 
Geoffrey imagined it all. Egad, ma'am, you may lower your tone. I have nothing to defend, nor are you set in judgment. Do you suppose all this is to make no change? she cried. You're a splendid creature, by heaven, says Harry, tilting his chair back and watching her with a little epicurean smile, the proud vigour of her, the blood in her cheeks, the flash of her eyes, and the sweep of the white arm. I could hate you for that, she says, and her lips set. Yes, I think you're in a fair way to it, says Harry. I wonder if you know why. Because I have come to despise you, she cried sharply. You will be solemn, will you, says Harry. Much good may it do you. And so, egad, have at you heartily, for you have said things which both of us will find it hard to forget. Oh, you can feel that? Looky, ma'am, if we are to be in earnest, we had best not snap at each other like a pair of puppies. Now, what's happened? You have to ask that? My God, if you have to ask, there's no use in words between you and me. Oh, Lord, don't be mystical. Mr. Waverton comes here to do his poor possible to make mischief between us. I suppose you saw that. He tells us that he went blundering with my father into a muddle of a plot. He tells us that your father planned a vile base murder and sought to make him a man of honour part in it. Pray, sir, is that not infamous? Egad, if you haven't caught his style, you believe all that, do you? Yes. We shall go far to-night, I think, Harry shrugged. And shall I tell you why you believe it, ma'am? It's because you are looking about to find matter for blackening me. Alison hesitated a moment. You cannot deny it. It is proved. Your father would not stay to face them. Face a pistol and a furious Scot? Well, I never said he was a hero. Do you pretend it was only a fight, he feared? Do you dare tell me it was an honest, honourable plan? Nay, come, let me see if there is anything you think shameful. Harry shrugged. I know my father not much better than you do, ma'am. I never thought him a Bayard. Some plot there was, I think, and these political plots are all dirty enough, but, Lord, who is clean of them? And I'm not ready to write my father off a murderer because Mr. Waverton went blundering into a business which, on his own confession, he does not understand. He went in your place. You should have gone with your father. Should have gone? Do you wish I had, ma'am? Perhaps. Harry started up. Oh, say it out. I knew we should go far to-night. They stood close, fronting each other fiercely. My God, is it strange if I wish you had gone? Your father is a base wretch, who should be on the gallows. I am to be his son's wife and bear the name, and the while he goes bragging that he took Geoffrey Waverton off so that you should be free to come at me. I that, to be sure, that rankles. But you have known it long. I showed you the letter he left me, which said he had taken Geoffrey out of my way, and bade me snatch my chance of you. And you made light of that, ma'am. Oh, it was a base thing, if you will, but you know well enough it went for naught. We had done our work before. By God, Alison, Geoffrey there or Geoffrey here, you would have come to me. Ah, it was like a cry of pain. You brag of it. I forced myself on you, I suppose. Harry exclaimed something, made a gesture. Oh, yes, you were all cold virtue and chastity and honour, and I... What was I? She shuddered and drew back from him. Yes, you would turn on me. You would taunt me with that. Egad, you're in a frenzy, says Harry. You cry aloud and cut yourself with knives. You will be hurting yourself. I loathe you for that calm way of yours, she cried. You mock me till I am mad, and then you please to be grave and lofty. You, I took you out of the gutter. What now, ma'am? Harry stiffened. It's all a mask, she cried. Nothing of you shows in your voice or your face. Your face, bah! It's always the same when you kiss and when you strike. A mask. 
you're always in a mask that's how you took me i was a fool and thought there must be something fine behind it she laughed you were clever enough you knew the trick and the mystery of it would take a woman a mask yes faith that is the wear of a highwayman i remember how charles hadley used to laugh at your cursed stand and deliver stare i liked it i liked the challenge of it but he knew you better that's your trade the highwayman faith the highwayman you trick us all and prey upon us as you dare so you marked me down who was rich and a girl and you have caught me and you have rifled me and for what you care i may now go hang i ask you for my pride again my honour and you mock at me oh i am ashamed for a fool and worse and you know it god help me but you you harry shrugged i suppose we have come to the end now he said coolly well ma'am to be sure we married in haste and it seems we have both come to repentance as for wrong that i have done you why i can't make you a maid again and if you please more's the pity my apologies and regrets for the rest all of your money that hath been spent on me will go in a small purse and i promise you you shall spend no more so you may sleep sound and i wish you good-night she watched him cross the room and as he was opening the door cried out what do you mean he turned why would you still be talking their eyes met in defiance you can go she said i have had the honour to tell you so he said and was gone chapter nineteen alison finds friends it was on the second day after that susan burford and mr hadley rode in to the lincoln's inn fields they found alison and mrs weston together and both sewing a fact which failed to interest mr hadley but surprised susan who knew alison without a taste for needlework my dear says susan embracing alison physically and spiritually in her large buxom genial way you have been a long time finding me says alison and put her off i suppose i know why you kindly come to me now Brrr, mr hadley made the sound of one who comes into a cold draught the truth is susan has been so busy improving herself that she has had no time for her friends in fine she has been trying to make herself worthy the honour of my affections and large enough to support the burden of my dignity i don't say she satisfies me but she does her best he propelled susan forward with one hand a poor thing ma'am but mine own oh he is amusing himself you see says susan in her leisurely fashion damn susan you're so mighty innocent that sometimes i believe you are innocent but you have known me so long susan protested alison stood up with an air of ceremony her pale face constrained itself at last to smile at them my dear i wish you may be very happy says she and gave susan a matronly kiss mr hadley you're a fortunate man she put out a stately hand having bowed over it brrr says mr hadley damn these east winds susan you're a plague with your affections you will have me talk about you and i can't make you interesting i hope ma'am we find mr boyce well alison drew back why do you ask that you have seen mr waverton of course mrs weston put down her work and folded her hands upon it why yes i have seen geoffrey and what's worse heard him i hope he did not plague you too long pray mr hadley don't be ironical you can spare me that mr waverton told us his story the night before last thereupon mr boyce and i parted company he left my house immediately and i do not know where he is mr hadley distinguished himself by containing an oath susan said oh my dear in that slow calm way which might mean anything it was mrs weston who cried out alison you never told me 
you asked once or twice where he was and i told you i did not know what does it matter you quarrelled with him quarrelled because of what this mr waverton said do you think it could make no difference mrs weston clasped her hands and swayed in her chair alison we had no guess of this i am sorry i am so sorry susan said there is no need alison held her head high if we have in some sort forced your confidence i beg you believe ma'am it was not meant so mr hadley in the grand style for i protest it never came into my head that geoffrey would make mischief between you and mr boyce you say that alison stared at him oh you mean i was so besotted with him mr hadley relapsed to his ordinary manner damn ye think we came for nothing but to jeer at you i promise you we have pleasanter matter to hand neither to jeer at you nor to meddle with you alison but friendly so take us friendly in god's name if you will go about to find a sneer in every word why a sneer you'll find but not of my making we bring you nothing but good will and want nothing more of you but if we irk you why let us go and we'll see you again in good time that's a pretty speech to begin with an oath alison said through the flicker of a smile and faith i should be slow to take offence at you for we quarrelled before because you were at pains to warn me well sir i humble myself before your wisdom there was a pause oh now we are all ill at ease says susan adzo ma'am it's not fair mr hadley cried i am not here to say i told you so i am not proud of it well damn i have no temptation to be meddling in your affairs but i think you will have to know it is with mr waverton i have fallen out now with mr waverton alison repeated what is there between you and him i believe he had the impertinence to expect my sympathetic admiration while i was thinking him a low fellow which i took occasion to tell him without result mr hadley shrugged but i believe he did not feel it it's a thick hide and what was your difference why this precious story of his there was some little time of silence you don't believe it alison said come you must say more than that i profess ma'am i have no will to say anything whatever i say i'll be impertinent oh shall we mark it in you susan said well sir you were not always so shy of scolding me says alison and again with a faint smile scold you god warn us i have no commission i can tell you what i thought of waverton and his tale did i believe it odds fish i never remembered believing geoffrey if he had to tell you two and two was four he would pretend that his genius first discovered it so i don't know what happened at pontois likely the old colonel did mix him up in some plot with some other fellows smoked maybe it was even such as geoffrey said kidnapping and murder to follow these plots they grow nastier and nastier the longer they are afoot and colonel boyce well by your leave i don't think him delicate but for the rest of it i'll wager that's geoffrey's sprightly invention you know very well ma'am i have no kindness for your mr boyce but damn he never thought of tricking geoffrey out of the way to give himself a free hand with you and it's a low trick in geoffrey to go about with that tale oh but he is stupid susan said what if colonel boyce thought of the trick says alison egad mr boyce is unfortunate in his father maybe he knows that as well as we but damn ma'am you will have it i believe there was not much trick in his affair with you i believe you once warned me of his tricks alison said coldly it's no matter now i tease you with my affairs if i can serve you i'm heartily at your command oh you have worked hard to make the best of a bad business but i can do that for myself and i like my own way of it mr hadley bowed oh let us go home susan said 
alison looked at her in some surprise and as she stood up came quickly to kiss her have i been rude she whispered that would be no matter susan said you chose to be angry with me alison stiffened oh one isn't angry one is sorry susan said alison let her go and mr hadley ceremonious but with visible relief went after her then mrs weston said suddenly quickly where is he he alison chose to be slow mr boyce i have no notion you drove him out i could not endure him longer or he could endure me no longer he, he went heartily enough i think we were both glad it was over you taunted him till he had to go weston dear alison laughed at the sudden fierceness of the meek what's the matter i have heard you mocking him maybe we both have sharp enough tongues you used to jeer at him for being poor good lack are you calling me to account ma'am yes you may well be ashamed where is he ashamed what do you mean weston what is the man to you i am his mother mrs weston said you you oh but this is mad i am not mad but weston dear you knew nothing about him till he came nor he of you how could he be your son i had never seen him since he was a baby i was not married that is why you would not tell me oh weston dear i did not mean to tell you now i knew it would hurt him with you but i suppose it's no matter now but these are my affairs not yours my dear you need not pity me what am i to say alison held out her arms you have nothing to say now you are not his wife now you have never been anything but a bad wife she gathered up her work with unsteady hands and turned away where are you going i'm going out of your house away from you but weston not now not to-night where can you go what can you do i can do well enough without you as he can why don't you tell me that i have been living on your money you told him so often enough oh you're cruel alison said what does it matter you'll not be hurt you are too hard she hurried to the door ah don't go like this alison cried weston let's part kindly i could not know i have done nothing against you mrs weston laughed stay a moment at least i want to know harry's father is colonel boyce yes there it is that is all you want to pry into all the story it is nothing to you he is nothing to you now the door closed behind her chapter twenty return of captain mcbean harry was not gone far in long acre stood a tavern calling itself the hand of pork this had always tempted harry whose tastes were of the people while still a domesticated husband he had tried its ale with satisfaction when he left alison it was to the hand of pork that he brought his small battered box he had a few guineas in his pocket and made a wry face over them ill-gotten gains says he for some were the scraped savings of geoffrey waverton's tutor and some the pocket-money of alison's husband but he was in no case to be delicate beef and bread had to be paid for and in fact his scruples were a little more than a joke it is not to be concealed that in minor things harry boyce was not nicely honest if you can imagine him seriously arguing over that money a thing impossible he would have said that the guineas were of consequence to him and none to geoffrey and alison that whether he had dealt honestly by them or not it would not better his case to pay them back a few shillings you have seen that he had qualms of conscience over the rights of geoffrey's service and alison's arms but the ugly awkward details gave him no trouble he may if you please have swallowed a camel or so but he never strained at a gnat now that he was gone with geoffrey and alison both his first feeling was comfort it was a huge relief to be his own man again 
he told himself indeed that he was mighty grateful to geoffrey for bringing on the final explosion for one thing it wiped off all geoffrey's score if master geoffrey had been treated shabbily master geoffrey had played a shabby trick they could call quits a pleasant sensation it would have been awkward if geoffrey had chosen to be magnanimous nobility but he was never intelligent the poor geoffrey he had done his best to be damaging bless him and in all ways had been a benefactor for in fact it was a great relief to be done with alison what with her fretful discontent her rages her industrious hate she had made herself intolerable i do not suppose that he forgot even in the heat of the divorce the exquisite pleasure which for a while she had given him i think he was always ready to acknowledge that to himself for it is certain that he bore her no malice and if he blamed her for their catastrophe blamed himself as much he might make the most or more of all the taunts of her zeal to find occasions for despising him he forgot nothing and forgave her nothing he wrote her down a cruel enemy but he did not pay her back with equal hate he dismissed all the warfare and the wounds with a shrug of sagacious cynicism she hated him she had the right she was his wife and perhaps she was in the right too he must fairly be reckoned a very poor match for her beauty and her wealth and her not insignificant brains after all he was essentially a nobody a nobody in every department body mind and soul she might even claim that she had been cheated for if she ought to have known that she was marrying a nobody she could not guess that he had a bar sinister or a disreputable father certainly madame alison could plead something of a case you are not to suppose harry in an ecstasy of meek devotion he was quite sure that she had behaved to him very badly he admitted no excuse for her eagerness to hurt him as soon as she was tired of him she might hate him but after all there were obligations of courtesy of decency of womanhood and her venomous temper had broken them all he was well rid of her in fine she and he could call quits as well as he and geoffrey there was no occasion to rage against her she had treated him badly but first he had brought her into an awkward mess faith she ought not to have hurried into a marriage for passion if passion was so soon to sate her but then what man would blame a woman for marrying for passion not the man she married who might rather humble himself because he had not been able to keep her passion alive well it was over and since it was over nothing for it but to part god be with her she had given him his hour and he why at least she had lived with him moments she would not forget a glorious woman it is probable that in these first hours of their parting he began to love her so much for his emotions but you will not suppose that harry boyce was wholly occupied with emotions he could not indeed afford it he had to make some provisions for keeping alive perhaps you will be surprised to hear that he had a friend or two there was an usher at westminster and a hack writer of lintots in little britain he did not propose to live on them who had hardly enough to feed themselves but he looked for them to put him in a way of some pittance and they did the usher had news that after ascension day westminster would be wanting a writing-master for the man in possession hoped by then to marry the dean's cook and set up an alehouse the author procured a commission to write two lampoons and a pamphlet against french wines in the intervals of his occupation harry looked for his father it would be hard to guess harry himself could not have told what he hoped to gain by that 
he wanted of course to find out the truth of the mission to france whether his father was likely to tell it he could not make up his mind what he would do with the truth if ever he learnt it he did not know in the least suppose the best event suppose his father could declare excellent intentions and geoffrey a liar harry imagined himself going to alison with the news and demanding to be taken on again a nightmare joke yet to come at the truth seemed the most important task in life the first step though you think it impossibly difficult did not dismay him he had no doubt of discovering his father that colonel boyce should have been killed or even caught was incredible he was not the man so to oblige his enemies it was incredible too that he would go long into hiding away from the importance of bustle and intrigue he could not exist therefore he would certainly come back to london therefore sooner or later he would be found at one of the coffee-houses favoured by the brisk fellows in the underworld of politics at tom's or the british or diggory's by the seven dials he might be heard of among the fire-eating jacobites of sam's there were not so many likely places but harry laid down more pennies than he could spare at the bars and all in vain he sat in sam's on an afternoon chopping greek tags with a jolly fanatical old parson the days were fast lengthening and for one reason or another the company at sam's was not too fond of light only a candle here and there was burning a little man came in with a party very obsequious to him as he walked up to the bar harry had a glimpse of a lean brown face he remembered it and yet no more than faintly and could not tell where he had seen it it did not much engage him and he went on with his greek and his parson the little man made some noise with the pretty girl behind the bar claiming the privileges of an old friend and a good deal of liquor and it was a little while before he was established at a table with his party harry chose to mouth out something homeric and sounding the little man stopped in the middle of lighting his pipe i know that role pardieu he muttered and in a florid fashion declaimed fol de roll fol de row and laughed alcoholically who's talking hebrew here one of his parties pointed out harry and the parson the little man blinked through the smoky twilight he stood up took his candle and lurched across the room to harry down under harry's nose he put the candle with a bang harry jerked back and glared at him and he rocking a little and blinking said thickly it's a filthy likeness after all it is no sir there's only one of me said harry if you see two give god the glory and go to bed i'm saying bully i'm saying the little man's accent became more caledonian and he clutched at harry's shoulder i'm saying my laddie damn that's what i complain of i'm saying i do not like your complexion it's yellow by joe it's a wee rotten orange it is so his company a faithful tale shook with laughter sleep it off sir said harry with a shrug what's your will clip it off do ye say so losh you would have a face or two to spare eh but i'm doubting you know too much clipping there's a clip at ears and maybe you have a pair he twitched harry's bob wig awry and with singular luck reeled out of the reach of harry's answering blow ay and there's clippet shillings and maybe ye make your filthy living by their parings and shavings well a well and there's clippet wings and i'll clip yours my bonny goose the night he clutched at the wig again and tossed it into the fire harry sprang up and struck at him he flung himself backwards into the arms of his friends and with a surprising adroitness plucked out his sword have at ye my man he giggled and made a pass easy captain said one of his company the boy hath no sword oh ay 
tis the lord that's a man of war the devil was i for peace well what ails ye not to lend the imp a bodkin the fat old keeper of the coffee-house waddled into the midst sure captain you don't mean it i would need to set my lads upon you tis disorderly homicide indeed you can't mean it not downstairs i'll not deny there's the elegant parlour on the first floor you're a canting old devil sam says the little man but i'll oblige you come up my bully and i'll show you a thing here's for you cully one of the company thrust upon harry a sword oh by your leave harry waved it off i don't fight a drunken man drunk the little man screamed odds blades there's a naughty way to mock a gentleman i'll school you bully foo or fasting i'll school you what you lug out like a bonny lad should i jostled it i'm thinking you would take a beating like a lamb laddie well a oh well i'll be blithe to rub you down with an oaken towel here patrick give us your staff oh i see you must be let blood harry shrugged well sir do i fight the whole platoon you're peevish do you know you're peevish here fraser give him your hanger do you second the baron donald come patrick i'll have you there's one for you and one for me my man and damn all favours it seemed to harry that the little man's company were something surprised at this turn but they took it in a disciplined silence so the party of four marched up the stairs you will believe that harry liked the business ill enough he shot glances at the two chosen for seconds there was nothing scottish about them they were very soberly alert they had the tan and the vigour of open-air life they looked anything but the fit comrades for a swashbuckling tavern hero they were as stiff as pokers they said not a word they showed not a sign of interest in the affair rather like two soldiers on guard than ready seconds in a drunken brawl once in the upper room they made their arrangement with solemn care locking the door clearing a sufficient space and setting the candles so that the light fell fairly harry was taken aside helped out of his coat asked if he needed anything gravely advised to risk nothing and play close we are at your service mr o'connor said donald at your pleasure mr mackenzie says the other harry was set against the little man and the swords crossed it then occurred to him that the little man was very suddenly recovered from his liquor the blustering chatter had been cut off as soon as they started up the stairs since then the little man had spoken not one word of the unsteadiness the blinking the rocking to and fro nothing remained he had marched to his place with a formal precision there was the same manner a correctness exact and staccato about his sword-play the knave can never have been drunk harry said to himself as he sweated and was the more embarrassed by bewilderment but he dared not let himself think the little man was urgently dangerous and harry knew enough to know it harry had no pretensions to science all he could use was the rudiments he had kept his head at single stick held his own with the foil against other lads and never before faced a point the little man had the speed and certainty of a maitre d'armes so harry fought breathing hard every muscle aching mind numb and dazed under the strain expecting hoping every moment the thrust that would make an end it did not come the ache and fever of the fight went on and on still the little man was masterful and precise still he demanded all harry's vigour and more than all kept him struggling desperately beset by fear on the edge of death harry felt himself weakening faltering and still the opposing blade searched his defence sharply still the little man was an exemplar of easy precision and yet harry's maladroitness always sufficed to save his skin 
he was puzzled and blundered and fumbled the more the play grew slower and slower and he was the more tortured enduring many times the shame and the pain of defeat at last he had hit upon the truth he was wondering in a dazed fashion why that other sword seemed always to wait on him when he made a gross mistake visibly palpably the little man's blade halted to give him time for a parry harry dropped his point and gasped out damn sir you are playing with me what's your will i fight my own way at your convenience sir the captain's within his right sir says harry's solemn second damn you for a pack of montbancs harry cried on guard sir says the little man harry gave him an oath and dashed at him there was a moment's wild fighting and then the little man forced it back to order they were at the old game again precise scientific thrust pause and blundering parry when to harry's amazement the little man's sword wavered and flew from his hand through a long minute harry stood staring at him and he waiting unarmed for harry's thrust again harry lowered his sword at once the little man stooped and picked up his do you demand to continue captain says his second you're a fool patrick quoth the little man the impenetrable second saluted and turned to his fellow another bout if you please mr mackenzie would you grant it sir says harry's solemn scot egad we are all mad here harry wiped his brow oh play it out to hell the little man saluted formally and again they engaged and now harry was enveloped in another kind of fighting scientific it might be but science far beyond his understanding the little man's point was everywhere upon him and he thrusting blindly at the air he might have been pinked a score times over he was for all he knew and then on a sudden his own point touched something next moment it was stuck to the ceiling someone called out a hit he saw the two seconds standing between the swords and a red scratch on the little man's cheek touche says he with a bow my compliments if you please it's some while since a man marked me i'm glad to know you sir pray what's your name harry boyce sir egad it's wonderful says the little man with a laugh which appealed to harry hector mcbean at your service harry stared i i am thinking we'll explain ourselves will you walk sir if you please captain mcbean took his arm said over his shoulder to the two seconds to-morrow and marched off with him once they were out in the street so you are colonel noel boyce's son says captain mcbean with an odd look he has often told me so if you had not such a look of him i wouldn't believe it oh pardon monsieur mille parents ma foi i have been insolent to you in all this affair you'll please to observe that the whole of it and the issue is to your honour will i have to say more oh lord no pray let's talk sense i take to you marvellously mon enfant well now have you heard of me enough to want much more what has father been talking do you know where he is captain mcbean i wish i did so do i it was mr waverton who told the tale now you know why i am eager to hear what you can say of my father or my father of you are you a good son mr boyce i pay my debts there's a crooked answer are you in the colonel's secrets i have no reason to think so i guess he did not trust you i guess he was right do you remember where you met me first i remember that i can't remember and me that thought i was a beauty well but you were busy you were making mud pies with ben i have it you were his captain on the horse pray sir what was my benjamin's mystery i am going to trust you mr boyce i shall not require you to trust me unless you choose i tell you frankly i hope for it and so come in with you they turned out of the strand into bow street 
Captain McBean let himself into a house and took Harry up to a room very neat and cosy. Do you drink usquaba? A pity. It's the cleanest liquor. Well, draw up. He pushed a tobacco box across the table. That's right, Spanish. Now, mon cher, are you Jacobite or Hanoverian? I never could tell. Oh, look you, I ask no confidences, and I make no doubt of your honour. If you had a mind to play tricks, you would have tried one on me to-night. Well, I have proved you. Your pardon again, but when I saw Noel Boyce's son lurking in Sam's, how could I know he was without guile? Now there is something I must say to you, but how much I say is a question. I have no desire to embarrass you with awkward knowledge. So which is your king, mon enfant, James or George? I care not a puff of smoke for either. So I suppose there is something you care for. Well, you asked about Ben's mystery. It's a good beginning. The rascal should have stopped the Duke of Marlborough's coach and held it till I came up with my fellows, instead of which he went about some private thieving. I am your debtor for giving the knave his gruel. What's Marlborough to me? It's not his dirty guineas I was after, but his papers. He was then pretending to negotiate with St. Germain. There were those of us who doubted the old villain had some black design in his head again, and it was thought that if we could turn over his private papers we should know where to have him. It was certified that he had with him something from his agents abroad. Well, we missed him, and how deep he is dipped in this business, I know no more than you. Now I come to your father, mon enfant, and I promise you I will be as delicate as I may. Do you know, par exemple, how Colonel Boyce is in the mouths of gentlemen? Oh, sir, that's another of the matters for which I care nothing. Tenez donc, you were born old, I think. Well, Colonel Boyce has been in some few plots, devices, and manoeuvres. No man ever denied him wit, nor will I, Dieu. But it's his virtue that neither his friends nor his enemies were ever sure of him. I believe, Mr. Boyce, that if he heard me he would thank me for a compliment. Bien, I come back to my tale. It was known to us poor Jacobites in England that Colonel Boyce was making salutes to St. Germain, which much intrigued us, for we would not, by your leave, have him on our side. They don't know him there as we do, and King James, God save him, is young and honourable and sanguine. Poor lad, says Harry with a shrug. You may keep your pity, Mr. Boyce, McBean said stiffly. I would have him so by your leave. Now we heard that letters went to St. Germain from Colonel Boyce full of windy promises. Verbosa et grandis epistola. Do you keep up your humanities? In the name of my lord Sunderland and my lord Stair. Black names both, but they were vastly intrigued at St. Germain. If Sunderland and Stair were ready to turn honest, then, pardieu, there was hope of the devil himself. Oh, I don't blame the king, nor even Charles Middleton, though he is old enough to be slow. The times are changing, and maybe Stair and Sunderland, they see it as well as we, and mean to find salvation. I can't tell. But the thing looked ill. Stair and Sunderland, there is no treachery too foul for those names. And if they meant honestly, why, saving your presence, mon enfant, why did they choose Colonel Boyce for their agent? It was no good warranty, so we adventured a counter. We have friends enough now in the government, mon cher, and it was arranged that the colonel should be arrested as a Jacobite. A good stroke, I think. It was mine. Only the old gentleman dodged it. Pray, what did you know of Mr. Waverton? That sheep's head? McBean laughed. Why, a letter came to hand in which the colonel talked of taking the pretty gentleman to France. So he was joined in the warrant. D'ailleurs, it made a good appearance. However, we missed him. 
but we found something in his papers which made me queasy so i and was off to france after him end of part six